All right, good afternoon, everybody. This is Warren to the Warren Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mayshawn Wilson, Global Business Strategy and Operations, Go-To-Market Ads Policy at Google, Combat Vet, Duke MBA, and West Pointer. Today, we have my guest, Mr. Al Vallejos. Al is uh, going to talk with us about preparing to transition, transitioning to corporate healthcare, both from a project management perspective, but also his real estate background that he does on the side. So Al is a Regional Service Manager for Siemens Health and Ears. He's a co-founder for Service First, and he's also heavily dedicated as a uh, real estate investor. Does a lot of work in that space. He served as a field artillery officer and West Point Mercy Diversity Admissions Officer, uh, Partnership Manager at Johnson Johnson, and Project Manager at GE Healthcare. He's a graduate of West Point and NYU's Stern School of Business. So Al Vallejos, he's kind of showed me the way to field artillery, and so I'll let him take it from there. Hey, Sean, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on. It's a privilege and good to see you, my friend. It's been, it's been a long time, Al. You know, I was a I was a firsty, you know, so it's been a, more than a yeah. few years. Yeah, I mean, I was a captain in the Army, but this seemed like a long time ago. Yeah, you're right. How <laughs> uh, the years fly by. So, yes, so for those that don't know about you, Al, like, you know, give us some background. Like, you know, where are you coming from? How did you end up in the military? So, yeah, I'm actually from central New Jersey. So I've been in the Northeast for a while. You can probably tell from my accent. After high school or while I was in high school, I actually um, looked up to somebody who was applying to go to West Point. And that's kind of how I found out about the academy. I never really, I mean, I've heard about West Point because you just kind of heard that, those two, you know, the word and the name. And you know, I didn't really know what it, you know, what it meant. Though. I didn't know it was a college. I didn't know it meant you go to the army afterwards. I wasn't really sure what it, what it all meant. But, you know, lucky enough, when I started high school, I did have a good friend who was applying to the academy at the time. And he kind of told me about it. He did the research. And then I kind of kept looking into it as high school went, went on. Applied, so got a uh, got accepted, and you know, the rest is history. There it is. And so did anybody in your, mil- in your family, like, serve in the military at all? Or are you just kind of like, hey, high school is the thing, and that was it? Yeah, yeah actually, no. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm actually a first generation. My, my parents came over. My dad immigrated here from Peru. My mother from the Dominican Republic in the late 70s. So... They kind of came here, blue collar, just work, never really had a much of a, a, a long generation of American background, fam- you know, back family to really kind of know West Point and, and learn what it was. So, you know, the Army in general, military in general, what kind of knew to me when I got to high school. It was a bit of a bit of a culture shock then adjusting then? Yeah, well, for, for them, for them, for them coming to the States, yes. For me going into the military, no, because my dad was pretty strict. <laughs> <laughs> The military was actually a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of, a, of an ease. You know, he eased up a little bit when I got to the academy because again, my dad was a, was a firm believer in in making sure, <laughs> you know, if you do something wrong, he lets you know about it. So yeah, um, that's it. Good, good structure, good discipline. Getting you ready for the army. Yep. And you were an artillery officer in the army, and then after you transitioned, you transitioned into the reserves for a bit. Is that right? Yeah, I'm actually still in the reserves, actually. So I did transition as soon as active duty finished. I, I decided to kind of stay part-time. And I think it was a great decision. It has really, it's really given me a lot of opportunities to still do things here and there with the military. I actually went back to admissions last year for about six months to help out when they had a gap in coverage. And I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was there, I think it was about a year ago, 2020, when they had the virus, when, uh, when COVID was, you know, was, I guess, changing some timelines with military PCS moves. They had kind of like a, a gap. You know, we still have some people in admissions um, as, as reserves. You can always take some time off from your civilian employer to go do good things for the Army. And it just worked out because I was going to 
And so you were back working your old job or working as a Melo? Like, tell us a more about Yeah, it. so I was actually coming down to the soldier section. So if you, you remember admissions, you know, you got the soldier, yeah. soldier admissions, you know, regional officer that kind of focuses on, again, active duty applicants to apply to West Point. So it was a fun six months. It really was going back for a little bit, you know. That's nice. So can you tell us, like, when you decided to transition, why did you decide to, you know, go from active duty to being a reservist and why I haven't decided to stay? Yeah, you're... so... You know, I think like everybody at, at that five year mark, you know, you start thinking about, all right, you know, I can kind of move on and say goodbye to the army. So I was always kind of on the fence. Do I want to stay? Do I want to get it out? I, I kind of came to the conclusion I, I didn't want to, you know, taste corporate America or taste entrepreneurs and do different things outside the military. But I also thought it was still could be beneficial, you know, especially if you, you change your mind and you want to kind of go back to maybe stay in as a reservist. So that's kind of my decision to kind of stay you know, stay in on a part-time basis. But, you know, I will admit that when I first made that transition, the reserves were very low on my priority because I was so focused on trying to get the next, you know, path started, which was trying to pursue graduate school opportunities and just find work to make sure I still had a paycheck. So that's kind of where my first focus went to as I was transitioning. And when I, you know, I, like everybody, I was thinking of where I want to be, you know, when I was, you know, where do I want to actually live well, now that I'm done with the military? What kind of career fields do I want to be involved in? So. You know, that all kind of went through my mind, what I actually like doing. But, you know, some things were kind of definite. I definitely knew I wanted to go to grad school, and I definitely knew I wanted to keep working. So it kind of made me look at the option of maybe pursuing grad school on a part-time basis and pursuing full-time work, which is kind of what I did once I transitioned. And so in, in doing that transition and balancing it, did you know, hey, I wanted to go into healthcare, and this opportunity came about to where you could go to grad school? Or was this kind of a way to, like, figure out what you wanted to do in Rascal became an opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Initially, I didn't really know what would be the best fit for me in corporate America, to be honest. So I, I kind of really didn't know what I wanted to do in regards to what industry or I kind of knew I wanted to get involved in project management or operations again. So initially, you know, I took a role in a small chemical plant as an operations manager in New Jersey, just because, like I said, I still wanted to make sure I, I had a paycheck as I was trying to really maybe see what I'm going to be doing long term. So I did that for about a year. And throughout that year, I actually learned um, Hurricane Sandy, I'm not sure if you remember, it hit New Jersey pretty hard around that time. And I, the chemical plant I was managing at the time, they actually pretty much had to get rehabilitated. And me as the operations manager there took a lot of, I guess, management of contractors in regards to, you know, people needed to come in and, and re, you know, fix the chemical plant. So I actually got a lot of experience, like, on, like, kind of that world in regards to managing contractors, you know, HVAC, plumbing electricity so i started you know kind of having that in my mind as something that was pretty cool even though that wasn't my primary job there it ended up being the only job i did there for a year and that actually led to my next role which was at ge healthcare where when i went in as a project manager my primary responsibility at ge healthcare was to work with hospitals their contractors their facilities managers on preparing and planning for you know diagnostic imaging equipment to be you know purchased and installed in their hospitals so mrs cat scans so it kind of led to the other, and that's the reason why they actually were interested in, you know, I got that opportunity at G Healthcare because I saw, I was in the military for five years, so good, good project management skills, right? All military officers usually have pretty good project management skills. But now that I was at a chemical plant, and I didn't even know if I was going to be there long term, but because I got a year of just working with contractors and rehabilitating a, a chemical plant, they thought I had enough to be dangerous. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of come into G Healthcare. And, and manage the installations and the implementations of the diagnostic imaging equipment, which is very expensive equipment. There's a lot of money 
that goes around that that world in regards to preparing the space, the hospitals, and and everything else. So that's kind of like my initial kind of transition into, into healthcare, actually. And so from there, did you know, like, hey, I, I really like healthcare and I want to stay in it, or just it was continually interesting and feel like, hey, I, I like this as long as it's still kind of cool. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I initially I just thought of it as an opportunity to get into GE because GE was really um, I knew them as you know a large company. It was different, obviously different companies within. So I was like, this is great to get in with a bigger company, get some experience, and then maybe I can move to a different division. Then I actually ended up just liking healthcare, and I, it was funny when I went to as I started having more dialogue with you know hospitals and with some of the customers I used to work with, and kind of like seeing the urgency that they would have on having equipment, you know, good equipment installed, whether it was GE or, or depending which vendor it was, they, whenever they would get like a new MRI or a new scanner, they'd be extremely excited because they would say, now we know that we're getting better equipment that's going to better serve, you know, our customers, which ultimately makes everybody feel good because when you're getting scans, depending on whatever sickness or what healing you need, uh, the imaging equipment does play a large role in, in your recovery. So it was, uh, it, that kind of rubbed off on me now because I'm like, well, I'm kind of partners with the hospital doing this because I'm, on the side of helping them implement that equipment into their facilities. That's a good point. And so while you were at GE, they gave you the opportunity to go back to grad school, or is that something that you just kind of like finagled in there? How did that work out? So so I'm glad you brought that up because that is that was one of the best opportunities that <laughs> GE did a lot for me. But one of the best things they did is they actually had a great tuition reimbursement policy. So after a year of being with a the company, they allow you to, you know, be eligible for their tuition reimbursement policy, which I don't think it's the same way it was when I was there, but when I was there, it was 100% of tuition is covered with no cap. So <laughs> I had the ability to, you know, pretty much any school I could do on a part-time basis, they were going to cover the expenses on a reimbursement, you know, after you, you get the, you pass the class and you send them the, the you know, the, the transcript or you send them the, the proof of the grade and then they, your next paycheck, they, they send you the, the cost of that, that class. So that's kind of how the reimbursement policy works. So to answer your question, yeah, I went to NYU, third school of business, which has a great part-time. MBA program in New York. So it was kind of where I was located and it worked out fine where GE was supportive of it and, and they actually, you know, reimbursed the whole entire program to me. And are those programs typically like, hey, once you serve your year, you're kind of eligible for the program or do you have to be selected by your manager? Does it just vary? Yeah, you still have to get manager approval. So after a year, you know, you're eligible to, you know, to, to have to be, you know, to get the program, the tuition reimbursement program from GE Healthcare. But you still need your, your manager support. So a lot of times I'll ask the question, like, when do you plan on doing this? You know, well, nighttime, weekend, you can't tell them you're going to do it during the day while you're working, obviously, because you're going to be working. But things like that, you have a discussion on kind of what the plan is, how long you're going to, you plan on doing it for. And then a little caveat to it, I mentioned it before, GE specifically when I was there, and I was part of that tuition reimbursement program. They actually, I did have a policy in place where, you know, every, every tuition, you know, you have to reimburse the company years as well. So. I ended up working up to, you know, I had to work more years for GE or else I'd owe them some of that reimbursement if I left early. It's almost like, a, what do they call it? Not the tuition assistance they have in the Army, but a grad cell, almost like that kind of option. A, a little bit, but I remember grad cell being a little bit, a little bit rough, like it was like a three for one or something. GE yeah, wasn't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, GE was a little <laughs> bit more fair. I think they were like a one for one or something like that. <laughs> no, that makes sense. And so along those lines, you said you do a lot of project management and you're currently working as a regional service manager, kind of what does that mean in like regular English? So like if you're telling a new captain, new, new lieutenant transfer out, what does that mean? What is yeah, so you know, I went into project management, 
Then I took an opportunity at, at Johnson & Johnson to be a partnership manager because they were implementing a robot. Actually, with Google, you know, a few years ago, I forget where they left off because I'm not with them anymore, but I know that they had a joint venture with Google to you know, create a digital surgical robot. And that was kind of the reason why I came on the Johnson & Johnson team. But that was going to be very similar to GE, where you work with the hospitals and you implement, you know, this new you know, capital equipment. So that's why that opportunity came to me at Johnson & Johnson. Did that for a few years. And then that 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 whole implementation and the launch of that that product delayed heavily. So I started kind of looking for for work again, and that's where I came across the Siemens Healthcare Opportunity Service Operation Manager. So to keep it simple, I manage service engineers that install and they service and maintain the diagnostic imaging equipment that is that are in the hospital right now. So I have a team of over twelve engineers in New York City metro area that specifically you know that go go in and service our customers who have service contracts with us. So Siemens Healthcare, G Healthcare, Philips, all these large medical equipment providers, they sell the equipment, but one of the you know big avenues, revenue opportunities for them is the service because you know the machines do go down. They're like cars, they're like anything else. You, you need to continuously service them. And obviously when a CAT scan goes down or an MRI goes down and you have 30 patients waiting, you know, they, they pay premium money to make sure they have a service engineer that's there to be able to get them back up and scan it because that's money out of their pockets every second they're down. So I manage that team that does that is, is what I currently do for Siemens. That makes a lot of sense. And so from there, do you feel like you had the requisite knowledge to really understand what's going on from like a medical perspective? Because it's one thing to manage a project when you're talking artillery shells or admissions of, you know, diverse and talented candidates. How did you come up to speed on the healthcare side of what you do? Yeah, and healthcare is huge. So there's different aspects of it. I said I'm very comfortable. You know, what I did at GE was very was a similar world. So at GE, I would manage the installations, work with the customer, and then also at the same time, I'd work with engineers temporarily who would install the equipment. I mean, now I I manage those engineers on the service side. So a lot of the language I know now was probably you know through my years at GE because it's. They speak the same language. They were, you know, they're actually major competitors. GE and, and Siemens are probably, you know, considering themselves each, you know, strong competitors you know, from one another. So, yeah, a lot of what I do now, I'd say I picked up from, you know, my time at GE Healthcare. But that's really the language of the medical portion. I mean, obviously, everything else that comes into managing engineers isn't much different than being a company commander or, you know, of, a, of I would say probably, a, you know, a little bit of a more mature company with a little bit. You know, older older NCOs per se. You know, very skilled technicians. It's it's very similar, to be honest. So, I, I think a lot of the basic characteristics of this role very similar to being an army officer. In fact, a lot of my counterparts are former army officers. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. A lot of people, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised, but it's and I notice it more now. A lot of people don't like telling, don't like jobs where they have to tell people what to do every day. And I don't love it all the time either. But I, I can do it because of our time in the military. But you know, that's why the GE time and the Johnson & Johnson time was great to kind of get away from from that because I didn't have anybody directly reporting to me. I was more just putting people together and doing projects and, you know, on the project management side. Now I'm kind of back in the, you know, managing people, which is which is cool in a way, too, because they, you know, a lot of I love it when I talk to some of my engineers today and they're like, man, the guy before you was it was rough working for him. And, you know, he just didn't really connect and he really didn't know you really know leadership. Just Again, things like that, it makes you feel good that because of the time in the military and because of the experience at GE Healthcare, I'm pretty comfortable in this role where I am now. You mentioned there are a lot of similarities to what you did in the military in terms of like managing and leading a company, 
or battery. What are some of the differences in management leadership in, in your space? How does it look different than managing soldiers? Yeah, that's a good question. I will say that the biggest difference I see now is that a lot of people in my industry now have been around a long time. The military, for the most part, is a younger, even, even your most senior NCOs are, you know, late 30s. You know, it's just, this is a different, you know, so the amount of technical knowledge, and again, not to take anything away from anybody that ever served me in the Army, it's just that the years don't really compare. I mean, I have some of the engineers that work here for me right now, or, you know, they started they started working at, as an engineer when I was born, you know, literally like two or three guys. So they've been around a long time, you know, and it's a little different. That, that's the biggest difference I see from, you know, the army where the army is really a younger, you know, for the most part, it's, it's a younger, it's a younger atmosphere, which, you know, when I was a platoon leader, I mean, you know, some of my soldiers were a little older, some of my soldiers were around my age, but for the most part, everyone was like kind of like below 40. <laughs> so that's the, that's what I've kind of noticed is, is the biggest difference. And that, in the army, it, it, it does seem that you know, everyone's kind of always has to look because it's such a younger environment. Everyone's always looking for what's next, regardless, even if you're an NCO or an older NCO. But over here, most people are career people. Like you don't have a lot of movement in the people I manage now. Like I was saying, a lot of them have been here since I was born. Or some of them have been here since I was born. But for the most part, everyone's like 20 plus years and they want to stay. You know, this is a very niche type experience to, to do in regards to service and medical equipment. So they're probably not going to be changing industries or doing something different. This is their life. So it's very important to them. And again, the Army is very important to all of us while we were there. But there is always that thought of what's next. And you don't really get a lot of that thought from the engineers here at Siemens. So a bit of a pivot in terms of the seniority, the longevity of people and their experience, and then also just the different aspects of how you lead and motivate people. But I'm kind of pulling out. No, very helpful. I think along those lines, you mentioned a lot of great points. When you did your initial transition, kind of taking a step back, did you use any programs or headhunters? Like, how did you kind of go about it, or how did you even start thinking about it? I, I actually did, and again, the reason why I did again, I don't know if that's always the best way to go. I think now is it seems like I don't know. I feel old, but it seems like there's a lot of different ways to network now than there was when I was transitioning, even though not that long ago. I did use a headhunter, and I think, I believe it was, I think it was Orion, I forget, but I did use a headhunter to initially get me my first job. So if there was an opportunity that, that came across through the through the headhunter, I, again, I knew I wanted to be here in the Northeast. So that was my primary motivation when I was transitioning was to try to find work here because I didn't want to go back, you know, West. Or I didn't want to move at this point. You know, I was kind of wanted to settle here in the Northeast where I still have family and friends. So that was kind of like my primary motivation. But I knew that that initial job wasn't, and again, maybe it was a bad way to think about it, but I just knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. I knew that I kind of wanted to just keep making, keep getting a paycheck and kind of keep doing things that, you know, are similar to what I did in the Army in regards to just managing people. So that's kind of how I I looked at taking that first opportunity. It was through a headhunter, but it was, Again, looking back, I'm not sure if it's the best way to go about it, but it was the way I went about it that kind of gave me a little bit of time, bought me a little time to kind of get into what what I consider what I really do like doing maybe for a longer term. Interesting point. Um, Kind of along those lines, Al, I'm also curious, right? You have your job in healthcare, you do corporate, you also have these side ventures at Service First, the jewelry company that you you founded or co-founded. And you're also a real estate investor. Can you talk about like how you manage some of those side ventures? Because some of them are, seem like they're quite busy, right? Like you told me you're building several units and 
of housing and have several properties all over the Northeast. So just curious yeah. you can talk about some of those things. Yeah, and it all started, and uh, we can hit on a few things, but we can start with just maybe the real estate real quick. You know, real estate, when I was transitioning out of the military, I always knew just from, you know, just like everybody else, it's always real estate always seems like a good idea to, to, to learn about or get in or maybe get, you know, invest in. So initially, as I was transitioning out of the military, my first investment property was right outside of West Point where my last assignment was as a, you know, as a diversity admissions officer. So, you know, I just, you know, I saved a little bit of money over the years, you know, did an investment, borrowed some money from some other, you know, other grads, other friends, some family, built a nice little, a nice duplex, rented it out, refinanced it. Again, not a big money maker, just something like a, a nice project, but it was a, it was just kind of something I always knew I wanted to do. And it's interestingly enough, as I continue to do those smaller little, you know, small, I call them small, but you know, like a small compared to depending on, on what you're, you know, what you consider big or small in the real estate world, I kept doing these projects kind of on my own. And it, it did have a lot of you know similarities in what I was doing at GE Healthcare. So GE Healthcare, again, I used to work with a lot of contractors on getting the equipment ready or on getting the sites ready for the equipment. So that, you know, the language was very similar to what I was doing kind of every night or every weekend when I was meeting with, with contractors on some of my real estate projects. So that made it a little easier because it wasn't I wasn't intimidated by the by the whole process of you know finding a plumber to, to give me a quote on you know what's going to cost for, for the duplex you know things like that were were kind of common because i was in that world already um, when i was at g healthcare so to answer your question on on how it's done yeah it's just you know luckily for me i'm i'm one of those people that i like to stay busy so you know my downtime is usually that side hustle time <laughs> no that makes sense i mean since i've known you now i feel like you're, you're always always hustling doing something yeah if you give us a little bit of backstory about the service first jewelry company yeah, yeah, that's great. So we're actually it's, it's good. I'm glad that we get a chance to talk about Service First. So sir, the reason why you know Service First, my involvement in Service First really started. Um, my mom actually worked in the jewelry district for years. That was her job when she she when, that was her first job when she came over for the Dominican Republic in the late '70s. So she has a lot of experience in jewelry. So she actually you know throughout when I was a cadet and even as a military officer, she always used to help a lot of my friends or any referrals getting engagement rings. So we initially. And when I say we, you know, I, obviously, you know, Mike Burns, yeah, he, me and him talked, we stayed in touch over the years, even after diversity admissions, and we thought there was a good, uh, you know, there was an opportunity here. You know, we have, uh, your mom's got a lot of experience in this. We both like to hustle. We both have a good network with the military. We can maybe, you know, find a way to make this company and, you know, make it profitable. So we started the process. It's been through a, a lot of iterations. It's changed a lot. So initially, the, what we thought it was going to be isn't what it is today in regards to, it being you know an engagement you know a company that does engagement rings, we we went through a lot of learning and, and we're at a point right now where we know kind of what we want to do and the price points we want to do. But it took us years, and you know like we were talking about before, it's just one of those things that me and Mike kind of you know and we've got backed by a venture capital company that's that's extremely supportive and we've had other investors. So we've had a lot of people kind of give us ideas and literally it's been a lot longer than we expected to kind of hit the market, but. The process, I think, was very interesting because, like I said, we started my, you know, my involvement started by my mother just having experience in engagement rings, and we're in a complete different place right now. For service first, we're looking at a, a, a different product line. We're looking at, you know, partnering with schools for their athletic uh, symbols and selling those to their alumni. So we, the model completely changed, but it, it kind of had to kind of go this way for us to know that this is probably going to be the next step with the company. So if I pull out the, the right nuggets out of there, so a combination between 
kind of knowing what your skills and expertise are in, whether that's your mom, jewelry experience, you know, you and your mentor or your buddy, Mike, you know, you guys know that you guys like to hustle, leveraging your network. And then from there, just kind of, you know, continuing to persist and being able to shape and adjust your idea as circumstances evolve. Um, yeah, and so, and so, and just to kind of add to that, just bring people together, like, you know, you know, bringing the right people together. So my mind had a lot of experience in this. So again, she would never start a business on her own in, in regards, but, you know, we had a good network with the military and we both were former military officers and we both like business. We like the idea of entrepreneurship. So, you know, put us all together. We'll, we'll try to maybe make something out of it. That's kind of like, I guess the takeaway is just, if you have a good idea and you have a little bit of a passion towards it, you know, get the right people involved, you know, try to make it happen. You know, it's not all what you can bring to the table. Sometimes it's, it's what, whatever, what you can get everyone else to bring to the table. And so from that perspective, since you know, like, Hey, you like to hustle, like you have the entrepreneurial spirit. Why did you decide to kind of take the corporate route in addition to your side hustle as opposed to just like diving head on into the entrepreneurship? Can you talk yeah, about you know, that? Yeah, and I still to this yeah, and I still to this day don't know if I'll be in corporate America forever. I mean, I do like what I do now. I think it will get to a point where financially I don't I, I wouldn't have to work for corporate America. And I think I'm maybe almost at that point now. I, I don't really don't know because like you know, like you know, I just I like to always work. So if I had the time to work, I'll probably keep working. But you make a great point. And that is that is actually probably some important piece of advice I'll say. Don't be scared to just jump out of corporate America. I kept, you know, I kept on it because it didn't stop me from doing what I had to do. Uh, at least I thought it did. I didn't think it was at the time. But um, you know, may, maybe it has slowed me down. Maybe maybe I could have, you know, had like five more properties by now if I would have just took a little bit of a risk and not worried about, you know, a, a stability, you know, stable income for a year or two. And maybe I could have really propelled. So. I will say that, you know, looking back, I definitely would probably look a little harder at, at like you said, maybe just dabbling into it because, you know, it, it, it's it's really not that long. It doesn't take that long really to get, you know, to, to get yourself in the right position if you if you really, you know, have a good plan in place. So I will say I think that's that's kind of where I was at. It didn't stop me from doing my side hustles, but I still do wonder if it slowed me down. And again, I, I think I'm almost at the point where I could focus primarily on on my entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurship and, and things of that nature. But I guess we'll see. I kind of play day by day and, and see when, you know, when you really want to walk away or, you know, stay with it for a little bit, maybe stay on a contract basis. Who knows? You know, there's different ways to to kind of just get what you want out of, out of whatever you're looking to do. It's over opportunities. They all kind of mess with what you're trying to do. And if you had felt like, hey, these are a hindrance, you might have gone a different direction. Absolutely. Those are good points. And kind of circling back to lessons learned, you mentioned where you're trying to go. Were there any like either books or podcasts or like particular like personalities that you listen to where you're like, hey, oh, like I, this person sets a good like example or, you know, heads in the right direction? You know, I, I listen to a lot of stuff. I watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of different things. I can't recommend anything specific. You know, in general, what I'll say, though, is and actually it's interesting. I did read this book the other day, and this is actually a pretty good one. I don't know if you. Ah, okay. Straight shooter. Yeah, I stopped by Stephen. I stopped by Stephen A. book signing a few months ago. And again, I'm not a huge Stephen A. So I'm okay with Stephen A. He's he's not. I like sports. I think the book was interesting about you know you want to become successful. You know, I think the biggest thing I took away is just be honest with yourself. You know, a lot of times in the military, you can't be right. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. It's a very bureaucratic system in the military it's just a different world you know once you're able to you know once you decide to leave and you decide to kind of like focus on yourself and what you want to do long term 
I think being honest with yourself and who you are is very important. Like, you know, be a straight shooter and, and that does carry a lot of weight in regards to if you want to do like entrepreneurship and you do want partnerships like me and Mike, we consider ourselves almost like, you know, like brothers where there's like a lot of trust there because we've always been honest with, with each other as friends. So, you know, being honest with yourself and being honest with the people you plan on working with moving forward, I think is extremely important. So yeah, I, I would say that things like that and people like that in regards to trying to find honesty uh, is very important, you know, because sometimes you don't even know what's, you don't realize what's good for yourself. But if you talk to the right people that care about you, they kind of even know already, like, you know, I don't really think that's you, you know, and it, it just really helps you a lot to just make a better decision when feeling comfortable going, you know, a certain route. Great points in terms of having good mentors and a good relationship. And so in terms of asking those questions of like, nah, that's not you or like, this is the right fit. What were some of those questions you were asking yourself, like going through this process? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I, I always asked myself when I was like thinking through this, again, I didn't ask it like in the room, asking myself it was in my head is, you know, I always knew I wanted to, like all of us, I wanted to make sure I was financially prosperous. You know, I, I maximized what I could do financially without like selling my soul. And when I say sell my soul, when I say sell my soul, like, I never had any interest in being a banker and working 24-7, even though I know they made bank, <laughs> you know? So I always had my, I always used to have my, you know, like the parameters in place, but I always, you know, I always thought of myself, I, I, and again, there's people that do great things that don't even care about money. And I think that's a great thing, but I always did, was interested in maximizing somehow, you know, financially. So that was always in the back of my head. So how I was going to get there. I never knew, but I did learn a little early, early on. It probably wasn't, if I was ever going to maximize myself financially, it's most likely going to be on something I do in the entrepreneurship world because to become the CEO of like Siemens Healthcare is not only is it hard, it's probably not me. You know, it's probably not who I'll ever be. I mean, I can always have these experiences and work for different companies and and be a contributor, but to maximize, get to the highest levels in corporate America is a lot different then get into the highest levels of entrepreneurship because you control a lot of what you're doing. You're not, you're not necessarily relying on somebody else to promote you. So as we discussed, I think long-term play is going to be on the, you know, on, you know entrepreneurship and, and, and that type of world. You can, I guess it can go either way on, on, on what you decide to do. But what I was thinking about a lot was how can I maximize financially? And that kind of led me to a lot of what I do today. Those are great questions. Kind of like, how do you maximize like knowing what your goal is? but also knowing how much so you want to sacrifice in the process. Right. And did you know banking was just going to be like that terrible or was it just because you had like, <laughs> did it? Like what was the. Well, I didn't know, but I, you know, you know, I guess everyone kind of hears about it, right? You know, they work long hours and make a lot of money. That's just <laughs> kind of the, the, the word going around. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I could have been completely off on that, but that's what I heard. And, and that wasn't me. You know, that wasn't me. I feel there's an easier way to make it some way. Maybe, maybe there's an easier way to do it. So. I always try to find that easier way to, to, to maybe get there, you know, financially. But yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. And I think those are the biggest questions. Like, what do I want to do? Like, some people want to be, you know, there's a, there's grads that you know get out that they're they're they still want to actually make a living, but they don't really, you know, care about making like corporate money. They're, they're good just work for a nonprofit or they were working, you know, back in you know local government. I mean, there's. You know, it's it's really, and I think that's the question you ask yourself. That's one of the important questions to ask yourself. What do I like? What am I okay just having like a like a certain type of job or career that I'm that I'm okay with? Not super passionate about, but I feel 
you know, and that's really a lot about learning who you are. Like, you know, you, you kind of, especially you know, when you transition and you, you kind of know who you are and what you like, you might not know exactly how you want to get there, but you kind of know what, you know, what your, you know, what matters to you. And I think that's important to factor in when you're making transition. And again, I didn't do a good job of that. You know, my first transition, I kind of just went with it and took an opportunity, but um, you know, the best way to do it would be to kind of just make sure whatever, you know, to try your best to do something that, you know, fits kind of who you are because it'll get you to where you want to get to, you know, it'll get, get you where you want to get to a little faster. I mean, it's a little slower process when you, when you kind of figure it out on the, on the run, which, which is okay too, which again, like I said, I did you know, a little bit initially when I was making that transition. It's a little bit of soul searching to know kind of what you prioritize and also yeah. like how much, you know, how much time or work-life balance, all that stuff that really matters for you. Right. 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 Grind and be like, you know, the infantryman and like, Hey, I got to get it. Got to, got to burn these hours all day and night. Right. Like something that's a bit more chill. Right. So, and so looking back over your process, is there anything that you would like slightly change or do differently? You said, you know, you might have gone a different direction than like the, the headhunter. Are there any other changes that you would make about your, your path to where you are either on the corporate side, entrepreneurship side, or education piece? Yeah, I think one of the things I'd do differently, probably just looking back on it, because I like doing so much real estate and because like I've, I've done a lot of it, I, I probably would have maybe, and I'd advise anyone that does, that wants to get into like real estate on the side, also get a license. I never did for whatever reason. I just never, it, it doesn't take, I mean, you have to go through the, the, the you know, the learning, the test, um, but it, it does help a lot because the main thing you can do is you can kind of start doing that. That's like one of the, the better jobs to do on the part-time, on the part-time basis like from what I learned. So I probably would have done that just because I think it would have gave me a little bit more opportunities in the real estate world just network wise. And I may have dabbled into maybe some bigger real estate deals and maybe some more deals would have came across me if I was doing like real estate agent on, on the side. So I think if anyone wants to get into real estate, I recommend getting a license it's just because you get an opportunity to network with a lot of, a lot of owners that have real estate. Sometimes they want to get rid of their, their, their properties and they already know you, you're the first one to hear about it, you know? So things like that. So I, I would, that's something I would have probably done differently. And, I don't know how beneficial it'll be now because my wife actually has a, has a license and I already know a lot of owners now because I've, I've done, you know, a decent amount of developments here in the area. So, but it would have definitely helped a lot if I would have gotten into that world, maybe with a license, through a license, having a real estate or broker license. If I would have done that earlier, it, it may have expedited, you know, some of the projects because I may have more opportunities in the real estate world. So finding those certifications that really give you a good, you know, leg up on what's going on. Yeah, so, yeah, any, yeah, yeah, and the network. Yeah, net, like we said, a lot of it's about network, and that's why you do this podcast. I mean, it's 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 kind of just you know people. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone shares their stories, and hopefully, it benefits. You know, everyone. If you put together everyone's background, everyone's story, everyone's lessons learned, you're gonna get you, you're gonna get some good good advice. You know, because everyone, you know, everyone, no one's no one's really mastered it. Is everyone perfect for anybody? You know, so it's these, these are great to have these, these these podcasts and these discussions. I think they're valuable for, for everybody. Definitely. 100% agree. Kind of last few pieces, you know, some really great advice. If you were to tell kind of future veterans falling behind you that want to get into whether that's corporate healthcare or into real estate, you mentioned kind of the, the license. Is there anything else that you were like, hey, I wish you would have told me this like five or 10 years ago and it would have changed my trajectory like nine minutes? Yeah, I will say even, you know, you know, I kind of dabbled on the real estate thing. Uh, I will say for, you know, what I do for Siemens Healthcare, for, for G Healthcare, I think that 
what helped me the most, to be honest, even get opportunities here was, you know, finding other grads in companies you want to work for. That was extremely, that's how I got, the, that's how I got my first opportunity at GE Healthcare. So the, 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 you know, the headhunter got me my first opportunity at the, the chemical plant. But when I was looking for you know, my next move and what I was going to do, I actually reached out to a grad that worked at GE and said, hey, I see this opportunity. Do you know anything about it? And he pushed my resume to the hiring manager and then I got the interview. So if you do, once you do that soul searching, once you find out what kind of what you want to do, whether it's a grad from West Point, whether it's a grad from your business school, whether it's just a friend from your personal network that works at the company, don't be shy. You know, <laughs> you reach out to who you can. Say, I'm looking at doing this. Do you have anyone you know there? And then next thing you know, even if it's not the right opportunity for you, you know, like I said, you'll at least learn about it. You'll know it's not the opportunity for you because you got you used your network to get you to have that discussion and and you were able to make a better decision on if something you want to pursue or not. So I, I did that pretty well, actually, but I would say that that, that would have probably that that expedites kind of everything, you know, utilizing, you know, people you know inside inside your network to kind of at least see what you're trying to do and, and see if it's a good fit. Leverage your network so you can navigate the path. So closing us out, Al, one, we really appreciate your time. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you, learn more about your story? And then are there any other like projects that you're working on? that you'd like people to either be aware of or ways they can help you as you're going towards being a real estate mogul or, you know, yeah. or, or an entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the best way to, to, to find me short for Albert Alejos. I don't think you'll probably have my name somewhere on the podcast. So just type that, that name into LinkedIn and then I'll pop up. I'll be glad to connect with anyone that, that saw the podcast and has any questions and, and anything that I, that I kind of brought here, you know, in this short discussion, you know, glad to help. That's what this was all about, you know, just, giving back so yeah that's the best way to, to find me um and the other project i'm looking at in addition to just maybe continuing to do a little bit of real estate here and there like i was looking at a, a, t- a larger project not far from here but something else I, i've kind of established just by the fault so a lot of the properties i've done and a lot of the real estate stuff i've done i, I still manage and own so i actually now that my wife has a, a license which is a requirement in, in new york if you want to have a property management company i actually did kind of formalize my property management company just because i'm doing it anyway and now by formalizing the company, I can actually represent uh, other owners legally now. So if there's another grad or there's another somebody else in my network here in the area, because I've already owned my own properties and I have the maintenance workers and I have the ability, you know, the platforms to collect the rent, I kind of formalized that. So that's kind of something new that I'm, I'm not going to say I'm jumping into because I've been doing it, but I actually formalized. So anything in regards to the property management world here in the Hudson, New York Valley area, I'm, I'm, I'm someone that can can help with that or, or give feel more information on, on you know, how, how that world looks. Nice, nice. Well, we appreciate it, Al. Always some great nuggets. Always great catching up. Whether, you know, it's here in New York or in Puerto Rico, always good times. Absolutely. Go Yanks. All right. <laughs> Take care, Mason. Good seeing you, my friend. Thanks, Al. Peace.